Hi and hello. This is the monthly installment of Post Poet Pop here on Art FM. You are tuned into 97.1 WXOXLP, 100.9 WXND. We are on episode 14 to be exact. And today we are featuring the work and conversation of the poet Danica Stegman LeMay. Danica is not only prolific and driven when it comes to her poetry practice, but in her work, she does not shy away from the uncomfortable or the difficult. She engages in new formalism on her own, some of which are blended into existing conceptualist approaches like assemblage or erasure, and some of which she creates originally. Today we're going to discuss her first book, Pilot, as well as her second book, which is set to be released in November of this year, Ablation. The first book, Pilot, is an erasure of episode transcripts of the television show Lost. Remember that one? And speaks from a common source through borrowed tongues. Danica writes in Pilot, I'm a shooting range. Can you hear me shivering? The second book you will hear from, Oblation, is an elegy to Stegman LeMay's mom, who died in 2020, and it contains not only poems, but hybrid text and images to form an artifact of healing. She earned an MFA from George Mason University and lives in Minneapolis with her husband Aaron and their daughter Vera. Together they run Frontrunner Screen Printing in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, and I am very honored to speak with her and to hear her read a handful of poems. So without further ado, let's do this. One I will 
Pilot 1. Open with the still-moving engine. Shredded spine where all the nerves come together and spill out. The music is bittersweet. There's an explosion. Burning debris. You sort of fall on me. I start giving you mouth to mouth. I don't even know your name. Pilot. The camera pans forward for a close-up. Bodies. B-O-D-I-E-S. Metal sound comes from the jungle. It doesn't sound like an animal, that monster sound. There's blood all over the plane. We see something familiar inside. A pilot's a person who flies a plane, transports people from one place to another almost in an anonymous way. Uh, but it, yes, of course, it's the, the word that represents the first episode of a television series. And I found from reading your book that there was this continual process of being found. And what's interesting about that is like, I don't know where the pilot fits into a process of being found, except for that the pilot helps you arrive. That seemed like an obvious intention as a mark of symbolism, but... So another meaning of a pilot that I think about is a pilot light, like setting fire. And uh, that's kind of something that comes up throughout the book too. One, like, one person setting fires and the other one sort of like being water and putting them out. Um, and so pilot for me, um, because as I was, another thing I was thinking about as I was writing the work was um, struggling with... Um, the way that the I behaves in a poem um, in relation to the you. And so like, I like to come at um, texts with more of like a feminist um, perspective of like creating the meaning of the text between the speaker and the author, um, like the I, and then the reader of the poem who also makes meaning at the same time. Um, and so the pilot is sort of like, there's this struggle throughout the book of like, I'm the one who crashed a plane. I'm the one who built the plane. Like I'm the one who's driving the plane. Um, and like what's happening is disaster. Um, so like basically like existing in a landscape and forcing agency is kind of like uh, creating disaster. So there's a bit of like eco-poetics in it for me too. So that's kind of like part of what the pilot is, is like there is a driving force behind the poems um, and an agency. And part of that is me constructing it. But it's, and it also has to do with like the act of watching television or the desire to say, see, see a character unravel or that thing you were talking about, like sort of relishing in or like identifying with this person who is unraveling or like um, the desire to like watch something that is violent um, and also, you know, fake, like we're choosing to be watchers and like in the process of choosing to be watchers rather than agents, we're um, in some ways like complicit. I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with MH370 um, in, a, in a weird way. And I think a lot about the pilot of that plane. And then when I read or heard and read your poem, it made me think about that again. But it also, I think the pilot in Lost was a, uh, he was dead, right? Like the pilot's not in the show. The pilot that was flying the plane that crashed. They don't they yeah. get his body out of the water or something? Um, 
he's okay so they do find the pilot in season one <laughs> yeah and he's still alive and he's like trapped right. in the cockpit and the oh, smoke monster God. eats him but can i say yeah. um just that because you referenced the malaysian airlines flight 370 yeah. Yeah. have you read the book ghost guest i have i've um, read ghost guest and i've read um i don't yeah. know if you've heard of florence de Chongi's book uh, i think it's called the disappearing act um i haven't yeah, so and then there's this new Netflix documentary, but it's a little basic, but it's good. It kind of actually puts everything together in one little compact place because it's only like four episodes that are 50 minutes each. It it for me, it's pretty basic. Uh not the book, not Ghost Guest, but like the kind of poetic obsession with MH370 and it's just like nothing on earth can disappear, right? I mean, even aside from like decomposition, we do yeah. live on a planet where nothing can disappear. And yet something did. And I think that's kind of mind blowing for me. Really super basic, I know. But no, I really loved Ghost Guest. Um I'm not sure I've ever read anything quite like it. Like I loved the um threading together because it's not just the Malaysian Airlines flight, but that's threaded together with um this more personal story. Um I think it was a cousin who like disappeared. Um in their plane in Minnesota. Um, and also like just this, I really loved how it was like, uh, threaded with the kind of haunting images and also like just this kind of haunting place in time. Like when the, cause it was kind of set, like when the, um, the big crash happened and a lot of people's homes were being foreclosed on. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort Mm -hmm. of like, so I, what I really appreciated was like the way that the things were threaded together and the sort of like, tone that that all took this sort of like haunted feeling that's like threaded through all of the like different pieces and that makes me that makes me want to ask you but about how you spell out bodies in the pilot one poem uh, b-o-d-i-e-s and you know what was that in the in the transcript or is that just like something emotional to kind of put in there because it's also yeah. a sentence yeah it is in the transcript um walt um, is like the child Michael has his child Walt um, and he's yeah. kind of like the only main character he's like a child um, but Walt is like clearly like 10 years old and um, <laughs> yeah. Michael who has like been a, not on purpose but like an absent father like spells bodies <laughs> instead of like uh, saying it um, oh. and Walt is like I can spell <laughs> like, I yeah. spell bodies. Um, but, you know, like the reason that I included it, because obviously there were hundreds of words in the script. Um, the reason I wanted to include that is like a way of kind of trying to point back and like um, open an aperture of like, this is what you're looking at. Like, do you understand that like this is what you're looking at when you're looking at the screen?
I do want to confess yeah. something. I never finished watching okay. Lost, so I was hoping oh, sure. to like have this like comprehensive conversation about Lost, but I never I never finished watching it. I remember starting it um, you know, like like I, I rented the DVDs and so it's interesting that you said I had this thought that like Lost was I think it I think it was the highest rated television show off and on with a couple other other shows while it was on. So it's a mainstream television show, let's just say that. I don't know. It's just interesting that you you chose Lost. Beyond like thematics and poetics, but like Lost was also this TV show that came out at, at a perfect time when streaming didn't really exist. Like you you could get the DVDs, I think, delivered from Netflix which is crazy yeah. to think about. Um or you could watch it live on ABC and I remember um 
my roommates in when I lived in Brooklyn, um, they couldn't wait for that finale to come on. And I was like, oh, I'm still on season four, right? Now, um, yeah. in 2023, I would just watch season four and season five, like crash course it on a Sunday and get all ready to watch the finale with them. But back then right. you couldn't. And so I think it's really interesting that you chose to hold up like this artifact of television that, that, is, that was both timely and untimely to, to a certain degree. And I, I don't know. I wonder if that was an active choice or it, no, you just love the show. Yeah, it was an active choice. Um, I actually started writing these poems in grad school in like 2008 or 2009 mm. um, when the show was still on. And part of the draw of the show for me, because it is all of these other things, like the aesthetics and the themes um, are interesting to me. The fact that it's set on an island, um, there's a lot of like richness just within the text. Um, but I also wanted to use Lost as a source text partly because um, it was this sort of um, communal, like shared experience. I remember uh, getting together with other people um, in my graduate program and just like waiting for the show to start and like sitting on the floor like a bunch of us um, in the living room and then like watching it like it was an event to all like get together um, and watch it and you really did have to wait until it aired and the sort of suspense and the like um, feeling of time passing that you had like between shows um, which isn't something that happens now. Like you can just jump from one episode right into the next. Yeah. And there is, yeah. So it was definitely like an intentional choice um, because it's one of the last shows maybe um, where people kind of um, had that experience of like watching something all at the same time together. Like even if they weren't literally in the same room, like everyone was sitting down to watch the show on their televisions. <laughs>
St. Vincent. You're listening to Digital Witness. And if you're just tuning in, we are featuring the poet Danica Stegman LeMay today. And in that first set, we began today's episode, episode 14, with Amy Winehouse's Love is a Losing Game. Then we heard from Danica reading her poem Pilot One, which comes from the book Pilot, published by Spork Press in 2020. We discussed that, and then we heard Wise Blood with It's Not Just Me, It's Everybody. Shout out to Birch Miller and Ann DeVilbis for putting me on to Wise Blood. Really like her music. And then Danica and I discussed the show Lost and collective television watching, which I guess we still have, but when Lost was on, it was different. Underneath me right now is the trumpet player, Christian Scott. And I want to tell you about Tip It Forward. Tip It Forward is a nonprofit organization based here in Louisville that works toward whole health for everybody. Tip It Forward is on a mission to provide equitable, trauma-informed whole health care to underserved individuals, families, and neighborhoods, and does so by utilizing its Plus Bus, which is a mobile wellness clinic, as well as alongside a crew of clinicians. You can learn all about what Tip It Forward offers by visiting tipitforward.org. That's T-I-P-I-T-F-O-R-W-A-R-D.org. We're going to keep things rolling with Danica Stegman LeMay's poetry. You will hear her read her poem, Machine Confidence Man, up next. Thanks for tuning in. Machine Confidence Man. I call you witness, flare figure, night struck, darkness destroyed. I know you. I have washed over you. I see you breathing. Listen as the jungle enters, an empty place split from giving. I swore to keep you, to cover you in years. But understand, the day changes fast. It's just order. Meet the moment shot through with everything. Turn to kiss it hard. I think this is a good point to talk about that process that you, you mentioned earlier of the, the interludes. And I know that's important to the work because uh, this poem follows a poem called Confidence Man. And yeah. it ends with this image that evokes like a divide between two beings. And then that divide is this embrace of the present moment, which is, you know, quite akin to watching a television show. So, you know, I, I think maybe talking both about the interlude, but then also this, this, it's just really like beautiful thing that, that happens in this poem and, and a, a few others in the book, but definitely in this one, especially as it follows, um, the other poem, Confidence Man. Yeah. And let me explain the machine poems. Cause I actually, um, those are both written from the same episode transcript, which the titles of the poems are just the names of the episode. Um, okay. So Confidence Man is the name of the eighth episode. Um, and what I did is on the... Okay, so the lost numbers are 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. So on the 4th, 8th, 15th, 16th, 23rd, and 42nd episode, I did two versions of the transcript. Um, and I uh, worked with a friend at the University of Minnesota Libraries, um, who was working in IT named Michael Burkowski one day to build, um, basically he sat down with me over lunch and showed me how to build a JavaScript app that's like a simple FizzBuzz computer application because I wanted to have a machine help me choose 
the words instead of me just choosing the words out of the transcript to write the poem out of. And so the Machine Confidence Man poem is um, basically like the Spizbuzz computer application. I put the script in to the computer application and then um, I had it choose every eighth word and then it spit those out and then I used those as a word bank to write this poem um, so that it's not me choosing the words and then the sort of like tenor of it ends up being a different texture than the couplet poems that are like me choosing the words out of the transcript. And so I think it's interesting that you were seeing like there's this sort of um, like at the ending, it's almost like breaking a fourth wall or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I do kind of mean those machine poems to have another texture and to sort of like open up the machinery a little bit. Um, and also just to be like surprising and to maybe offer opportunities to add some um, strangeness um, and like unreality um, and reflection, I guess, like this sort of idea of like, I don't know, I just have this image of like someone standing in like Alice going through the looking glass, right? Like mm-hmm. sort of uh, these machine phones end up being a way of like sort of sticking your finger like through a mirror um, that you thought was like a solid surface. People listening on the radio aren't going to be able to see you have like a carrot followed by a colon and then you have the line and you do have punctuation too so i i was i was like wow this form it's not it's definitely not hard to read or hard to follow but it 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 has this like yeah like on screen um you know like like it's not a typewriter it's not like handwritten you know what i mean the the confidence man poem is the couplets no. punctuation sentence structure etc so you know, I, yeah, it's great to hear part of the process. And also it sounds like you were just, I don't know, doing something like super enjoyable with poetic creation. Yeah, it's very fun. Um, I think constraints are sometimes freeing. Um, and it's kind of like a, a sort of solving a puzzle or like um, a sense of play that's added into like the writing process. Um, can I blow your mind? Yeah. Well, here, first, let me say something. The I just want to say the machine like the fizzbuzz application that i made i put into the book actually it's interlude machine one like shows the exact code so if someone wanted to like look at that and understood code or like recreate it they could um but i'm gonna blow your mind right now i recently discovered um from my friend ollie john that another person has written a book of poems out of like based on lost or based on the screenplay specifically for the pilot no, no, I don't know. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, I can't believe someone else did the ha, did the same thing. Don't you want to be uh, the it's only lost bullet? I mean, come on. Yeah, up here. I uh, but I have to find this person. So I can't find him on the internet. But oh, Book of no. Losses by Joseph Turrent uh-huh. was put out by Schism Press in t- 2022. So oh, there's like wow. there's more than one person. Who Poetry's crazy. I mean, I there's like we're like an yeah. we could take we could like definitely take over New Hampshire. You know what I mean? Like one of those states. Yeah. Like poets could run a state if we really organized. Well, I'm sure it never used to be. 
It's easier, Dave, I promise. You're in here for a reason. Come on, Dave, let's take a walk. I know you're freaking out right now, Dave, and I'm sorry. It's going to get a little worse before it gets better, Dave. What a coincidence. Every rock, every tree. Locusts fall from the sky. They're just numbers, Dave. You, me, this island. None of it's real. None of it is happening, Dave. You will never get out. Try to contain yourself. What's the matter, Dave? Dave? Dave! 
I more or less want to ask you like about the locusts falling from the sky. Is that also episode transcript or it's just such a beautiful phrase and Yeah. So any all the poems in the book that don't have interlude in the title are like strictly taken um from episode transcripts. Sometimes those phrases are um like I'll lift a whole phrase from the episode transcript but sometimes i'll like cobble things together um and to be honest unless i look back through the drafts i often can't tell the difference between it like between one and the other so it like locusts um fall from the sky could have been a literal phrase like an actual phrase that was in the transcript or i could have taken like um jack falls from the cliff and then like uh, sky coming from a completely different sentence and like locust coming from a completely different sentence and like hobbled them together into a sentence. Um, yeah, okay. I suspect probably locust fall from the sky was somebody's actual quote because like that's um, sort of biblical, like a biblical reference. Um, yeah, totally. But some of these, some of like the register of the phrases is not is it ever coming from you watching the show like you're in or, you know, watching an episode or something and something visually happens and you actually transcribe it. Did that ever happen in your process? No, um, I had done like the proto pilot. Um, I did that with, um, a show called dark shadows, the revival. So not like the original dark shadows, but the one that aired in the nineties. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah where I like watched, I bought the DVDs and I watched them and I transcribed certain things. Pilot, like with all of these poems in pilot, um, I was strictly using the episode transcripts. Like I was not watching the show. I actually could not watch the show while I was writing the poems. It was just like, I couldn't like exist inside this world that I was trying to like pull apart into pieces. Like I needed it to be material and not like a world. Um, so I would take the transcript off the internet and put it in a word doc and then just like start lifting words. So I was never, wow. it's not like at phrases or something where I'm like watching right. and writing things down. Dave is such an interesting, uh, you know, a character in the show, but that poem in particular, there were just all these beautiful phrases, especially that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I loved, I love the idea because I took all of the characters' names out of the episodes, except um, I repeated Dave in this poem as much as possible, um, partly because he's not even a, he's Hugo's imaginary friend. And so he's yep. like, not he's like the only character that appears in the book and I'm putting quote character in quotation marks, uh, yeah. but he, his name gets to appear because he's imaginary. Now I will say if someone just hears you read that poem, it's going to sound tied to 2001, uh, a space odyssey, like the yes. Hal computer saying don't do that dave yeah um i definitely thought about that as 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 i was putting it in and you can probably tell when i read it um i do intentionally read it a little bit like um how would say dave yeah um because it and it is like you know um the spirit of it anyway is kind of similar where hurley's a little bit um it feels like he's losing his mind a little bit um which is dave's experience
Solid wall of sound. That was a tribe called Quest. Welcome back. Post Poet Pop, episode 14. You're tuned into Art FM, 97.1 WXOXLP Louisville. And today we're spotlighting Danica Stegman LeMay. In that second set, we began with her reading the poem Machine Confidence Man. That's published in the book Pilot comes from Spork Press 2020. That was followed by Jamie Lydell with Multiply. And then we heard from Danica reading the poem Dave from the book Pilot. I'd like to put a local business spotlight on Shipping Port Brewing Company. It's a women-owned and operated business anchored in the Portland neighborhood here in Louisville, and it's named for the Shipping Port Island off the shores of the Ohio. Located at 1221 West Main Street, Shipping Port serves beer, cider, and food at its Sally Forth Tap Room. You can find out more by visiting the tap room or going to shippingportbrewing.com. Next up, we're going to hear Danica read from her book, Ablation, which deals with the passing of her mom. It has hybrid text, it has image, and it has poetry. We'll hear two poems from that, and then we will finish out the day with a song from Greta Morgan. 
I want to offer my sincerest gratitude to Danica for appearing on Post Poet Pop today. You can learn more about Danica's work by visiting her website. That's danicastegmanlemay.com. D-A-N-I-K-A-S-T-E-G-E-M-A-N-L-E-M-A-Y, danicastegmanlemay.com. And, of course, look for announcements, and I'll post further information. Thanks for tuning in to Art FM. I hope you have a beautiful day. Treat yourselves well. Tell the people you love that you love them. See you soon. I mouth the word motherless, and it's a cut that misses, a cut made clean, the clasp of a snapdragon's jaw. I mouth the words cornhopper, hair combs, hand-painted flowers, grayscale photos with exacto knife edges. I keep these things in a box. Anxiety pins me in place. I've got 60 needles aimed at my center, one point for each year of her life. I stare at cracks in the asphalt and can't seem to leave the parking lot. The funeral homes across a street torn to gravel, they'll repave next week. I move forward to hug my friend, but he and his wife move away slightly my mom has died during a pandemic. The air is not safe. Don't touch your face. For God's sake, don't touch each other or speak closely. I feel like a thousand dead birds, one brother says. It'll take months to transfuse our veins with sand and several more before we can bear the heat of our blood again. I tried to watch the sunset, but I couldn't, the other brother says. The clouds got in the way. It's overcast, but refuses to rain until we've left for the quiet of our homes. Weeks later, the sky's heart still bends light, but it matters less. Handful of red, handful of copper, my sister speaks in tongues, but what she's asking for is money. Her loss sharpens. She tucks cash in her pockets and places the sympathy cards in front of me. I face the stack and cut the leaves out, then add them to my grief box. I mishear her words as dust in my heart, wind in my hair. I don't need anything. The sun bleeds through the clouds. I look up and cut paper leaves pour from my eyes. There felt like there was this constant like dancing quality of this poem. You know, there's aiming, limited sort of physicality, like limited touching. There's also stillness. There's moving towards, there's moving away. And so there's this very much this like choreography so i love that you said that um like i'm glad you can kind of feel the rhythm of it um because i did i wrote this poem in syllabics it's not perfect uh but most of the lines are about 10 syllables long and that gets a little bit messed with like when a stanza breaks i kind of like break the line and indent it uh so that it's still about 10 beats um but i i did that intentionally partly because 
this is this is the introductory poem like it's the first poem in the book and it's a very it's a difficult book it's a difficult subject and i think it's something that a lot of us have experienced um recently uh dealing with like grief um Mm -hmm. and sort of moving moving forward after um a lot of loss and like strange painful like we've been through a pandemic like we've been through a lot of other kinds of upheaval as well in the past couple of years with like police shootings and just continued political kind of turmoil and so i wanted because it's the introductory poem and you talked about like kind of the moving towards and moving away and the not touching is it sort of like a tentative like easing into this difficult subject it also and this sort of like landscape of the book it also happens to be the first poem that i wrote about losing my mom after her death um i took a wonderful class with michael torres who's a poet here in minnesota um and it was a or a class that was about like writing from a voice of intimacy or approaching like intimate subjects and in poems which is something i had like being vulnerable in my writing was something i had struggled with which is maybe also kind of being dealt with a little bit in pilot like moving through that like using somebody else's words to like um work through some things was like very useful for me in pilot um to get me to this place where i could sort of like put my own actual vulnerability on the page which i did not know i was like preparing myself for but so i learned like so some of that like tentativeness is like learning to trust a reader um and put this sort of like to go places with me and put this difficulty like this difficult feeling onto the page and it is a feeling that i think a lot of other people will have shared what's what was the process of of ablation like it's interesting because i actually started the the um second poem in the book is a long sequence called ablation like it's the title poem and i actually had most of that poem written it's written in mirrors and canes and it's also partly about um the birth of my daughter but i had most of that written at the point at which my mom died because my mom had a heart condition um, and I was kind of like writing that sequence um, towards uh, dealing with my own relationship, like of being a daughter um, to a mother and then becoming a mother to a daughter. Mm. Um, and then also like thinking about ablation also means like the evaporation of ice from a glacier. And so just thinking about like um, global warming, like climate change and uh, bringing a child into the world like, during yeah. climate change. So I had been already, I already had all this material. And then of course I had to write more sections of that poem after my mother died. And I found, because a, a lot of the um, stuff about my daughter that's in a bad ablation sequence poem, I wrote in the process of like, right after she was born, it just like came out of me in this, from this like liminal state of like being one thing and then becoming Um, I was still myself, but I was also a mother. I wrote in a similar fashion right after my mom died, like I needed it. Um, And a lot of the, some of those things do not end up, like they ended up just being for me. Those are very tightly wound poems, the ones in that sequence. Um, And I needed something that sprawled more. And so I started writing these more like hybrid, um, longer poems that you see later in the book. 
because I found that I, my grief could not be contained um, in these tightly wound structures. Yeah, it makes me want to ask a few things. But if it's okay to ask, were you close with your, yeah. with your mother? Um, it's complicated because um, it was a difficult relationship. Um, in some ways, we were very close, and I loved her very much. In other ways, um, it was a difficult relationship. She had, as a young person, like had experience with being physically emotionally, sexually abused. Um, I believe she probably had borderline personality disorder that was never treated. And she did her best, but um, in some ways I was the eldest daughter. I ended up taking care of a lot of um, things that a parent normally takes care of and experiencing my own sort of like emotional abuse, some physical abuse, abuse like as a child Mm. um, and neglect. Um, And so that was all, that's what's complicated about it is because is when things like that happen, like, at least for me, I both loved her and had amazing memories, but also, like, um, when she passed, I felt a lot of relief. And there was a kind sure. of, um, there was a kind of growth that took place, um, just realizing and being able to let go of um, some of the negative things or the more difficult things that I had experienced. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. And, yeah, you know, um, I was talking to my therapist she we were talking i was talking about my mom and my grandmother and how you know it never goes past me that at their age the type or sort of process of patriarchy that they had to confront and deal with and live through is a lot different than even the version we still have left today and um you know it just never i'm just i always think about it um that and then that kind of brings me back around to respecting them. Ironically, my therapist, uh, she studies like a lot of theory. That's why I like talking to her. And she was saying that they're finding out a lot now that women of a certain age, like our mom or our grandmothers, um, you know, that they, they have borderline personality disorder damn near automatically from putting up with all the stuff they put up with. And yeah, it, it's just so strange that a disorder could be like automatic, right? From a social system. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And we could, we could go into a whole other we, conversation. We could roll on that. <laughs> this could become the psychology <laughs> podcast real quick. Field. My mother is a nebula. My mother's eyes are closed like she's already a ghost. An exoskeleton twins her. She collapses time. I never called her my mother. My mother isn't inside the car, but neither is she outside the car. Dust disperses. Her hand clutches the door. Her hand clutches the door with devotion and necessity. Her love has painted the body in two-toned blue. You can't see it, but the car's back seat is raw, unupholstered metal. Memory is a host. My dead live here in a corridor of rust thatched together in a ramshackle structure. The grass is overgrown. When my mother is pregnant, her voice refracts against porcelain as she spills outward. Her scales feather the drain. Seeds spread. The home we left is a field. I watch the field dismantle the shack, swallow rust. 
My mother clutches the car's door as though it's what keeps her upright, what keeps her from collapsing, what keeps her from vanishing. Remember the quiet evenings. My mother is liminal. My mother is cleft between worlds. She speaks to me. She speaks to me from a mouth filled with clover. We are playing Midnight Mary My turn to sleep in the cemetery The last flicker of this lighter Is the only flame I have My parents think I'm sleeping at Jackie's Her parents think she's sleeping at mine It's a year before my dad was See 